Well, you know, um, in the light of what Pastor John's mission has been in recent time, which uh, as he's articulated in uh, several of the last Sundays, bringing us to meet our God. Uh, it's important to note that if our confidence is robbed from us in any way, that our meeting with God, our, our worship, our approaching him can be hindered or, or hampered if there's a lack of confidence inside of us. And one of the biggest tools that the enemy uses to hinder our confidence is that when we fall, he would like to keep us down. If there's one thing that the enemy is deadly afraid of, it's somebody who might have fallen who gets back up again. So what I want to do today is I want to uh, address one of the one of the key areas that, that the enemy will try to rob our confidence because by, by dealing with that and, and taking away one of the weapons in his hand, then we're putting ourselves in a position where we can enjoy confidence and where we can confidently go to the mountain, <laughs> where we can confidently go to meet our God, to experience him, to experience the ultimate of relationship with him the ultimate of intimacy with him in our worship. So I'm going to talk to you today about how to get up after you fall. How to get up after you fall. Hallelujah. Now, now first of all, before addressing that, the, the one, one thing you got to realize is this, is that first of all, you don't have to take time to teach people how to fall. Interesting. First of all, that's not the desired result. And secondly, most of us are so good about doing it that we really don't need help on it. But the idea of getting back up can be a challenge. And because, you know, those times where you fall and then, you know, the devil starts beating you and beating you up over it and then he doesn't even need to do it anymore because we can start doing his job for him. Anybody ever been there? Lord have mercy. You know, he, he just hands the bat over and we start doing his job for him and we're beating ourselves up. But uh, th there's uh, two things. First of all, before we're getting into the subject of how to get up after your fall, the first thing I want to tell you is that God's provided some prevention from our fallen to begin with. And someone say prevention is better than a cure. You know, um, it, it's, it's kind of like this. If, if I don't want to fall off the stage, I'm not going to go ahead and play around the edge. And, and, and you know, it's amazing how so many times we wonder why we fell but uh, it's pretty obvious if we just looked at it because we were playing around the edge. It's no surprise. And, and, and you know, uh, uh, 
Sometimes we've allowed ourselves to be flippant when it comes to staying on the right road and doing the right thing before God. And, uh, you, you know, um, uh, you know, kind of the mentality that, well, if, if, I, if I fall, man, no big deal. We'll just squirt a little First John 1, 9 on there and it'll be all better. You know, and, and uh, thank God for the provision of his mercy. But, but, you know, the, the flip side of that is if you're, if you're on an ocean liner, you, you don't just go ahead and sink the ocean liner so you can take a ride on the life raft. <laughs> Are you with me now? Come on. Because the life raft is there in case of emergency. But uh, how many times have we just started causing our own emergencies? Sinking the boat so we can ride the life raft. That's just insanity. So... Uh, so we, we need to keep ourselves away from such a mentality or such a practice. We need to do everything we can to stay away from falling. As a matter of fact, the scripture addresses that in Romans 13 verse 14, where the apostle Paul said, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So the idea that you're not making any provision means that you're not planning on going down. You're planning on standing up and staying standing. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. So that's our first quest before we're going to discuss how to get up after your fall. Our first quest is how to stay up and not fall. Um. You know what, why don't you go to the two openings in your Bible, Colossians 1 and Jude chapter 1. Colossians 1 and Jude 1. We'll take a look at, uh, we'll take a look at Jude first and then at Colossians. Hallelujah. This is uh, very important because, as I said, it's, it's, Anything that hurts your confidence, the devil will want to use it and use it and use it and use it. And uh, one of the biggest things that the enemy would use is mistakes we make, our own failures, as a means of keeping us back and holding us back from going on into greater things and deeper things with God. As a matter of fact, to keep you away from God, to develop this mindset that, well, I've just messed up. God's not very interested in talking to me today. The devil is a liar, somebody. Come on. We're going to expose him for who he is today. But I want to, the reason I had you go to Jude 1 and Colossians 1 is I want you to see some things that, that are God's provision for you in this area that can keep you standing on your feet to begin with. Jude chapter 1 verse 24 says this. Now to him who is able. Someone say he's able. able. To keep you from stumbling. And to present you faultless. Before the presence of his glory. With exceeding joy. I want you to imagine today that that you and me. Us with with all of the the, the faults that that, that we have. All all of the, the wrong moves that we've made in this life. That it is possible because of God's ability to cleanse us and God's ability to keep us from falling, that we can actually look forward to a day where we'll stand before him presented faultless. Say, there's just no way possible 
You, you think there's no way possible. Because for me to be presented faultless, what, what happened to the faults? Well, don't you know that's the message of the gospel to begin with? That somebody took your faults? Somebody bore your sin? Somebody did the time for your crime? Hallelujah. And so there's an ability that God wants to impart to his children to keep you from stumbling, to keep you from falling, to keep you up on your feet. Hallelujah. Well, that's Jude 1. Take a look at Colossians 1. It says, and you who once were alienated, verse 21, I'm sorry, Colossians 1, 21. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, we could go on reading, but we'll stop there. But to think about this, once again, we see in Jude, he's wanting to keep us from stumbling and present us faultless. Here, he's talking about presenting us holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Hallelujah. God has ability not just for you to get up after you fall, which we're going to address in a few minutes. But first of all, we need to note this. God's got ability to keep you up and keep you from falling to begin with. What's your responsibility in it? It's real simple. Your responsibility is to respond to his ability. <laughs> Hallelujah. See, he's able to keep you, but your cooperation or your lack thereof determines if he can do what he wants to do or not. Your, your cooperation or lack thereof determines whether he can do what he wants to do or not. What's our responsibility? The scripture says here that our responsibility is to continue. Continue. Continue in the faith. Continue in the faith. The word continue. Hmm. Does that ring a bell? Someone say John chapter 8, 31 and 32. John 8, 31 and 32. That's where Jesus said, if you continue... In my word, you'll be my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So this idea of continuing in the word that would ultimately lead to you being presented uh, holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, how can that be? Because it's continuing in the word that's the thing that causes you to know the truth and the truth to make you free. Continuing. So what's your role in this? How, what can I do to keep myself from falling? Well, first of all, you can't do anything to do that. But how, what can you do to cooperate with the Lord's ability in that way? Continue. Stick with it. I had a good day. Well, stick with it. Don't get too caught up in the fact that you had a good day. I had a bad day. Don't sweat it. Stick with it. Continue. 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 Steadfast in the faith. Continue, continue, continue. Why well, I failed? Well, I'm not giving up. Continue, continue, continue. Don't feel like it. Continue, continue, continue. I had a real bad day. Continue, continue, continue. Pastor Ray, you just don't understand. Continue, continue, continue. Well, you know, I... 
I know everybody else in the church, you know, they, they got it all right. But me, I'm kind of like this, this exception. You know, I, I, you know, I, I was born again all right, but I think I was born again with new birth defects. I didn't quite come out right when I got born again. Continue, continue, continue. You see, it's amazing. The devil would love to isolate you and try to make you feel like you're in this rare case or this rare category that nobody else is in. But the Bible tells us the real truth. There's no temptation taking us, but such as is common to man. You're not in any rare case. You're just somebody who, who's blood-bought and the devil's trying to keep you down. But in Jesus' name, you're going to keep on rising to the top. Hallelujah. Uh, why don't you check out 1 John 2 real quick. 1 John 2. So this is introductory before we really get into the heart of uh, what we want to hit today. But uh, I need to hit this because uh, uh, the, the bottom line is that before learning how to get up after you fall, you want to learn that uh, uh, your number one goal is to prevent a fall. 1 John 2.1. And, and this verse is great because it, it really has the... Uh, captures the essence of both in there. First John 2, 1, the apostle says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So he said, These things I write to you so that you may not sin. Someone say the word. He wrote that epistle so that they would not sin. Sounds like Psalm 119 where David said, your word have I hid in my heart mm -mm, that I may not sin against you. See, though the word will keep you on track. The word can, can be preventative, a preventative measure to you from falling. But then he knows that, you know, even with the word and even with the spirit of God, you being imperfect and living in an imperfect world can still fall. And so he put that clause in there, that provision in there. And if you do sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So I want you, yeah, this good news in the courtroom of heaven, you've got connections today. You've got connections. You're well connected because the judge is your father and the defense attorney is your elder brother. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. All right. So here we go. We're going to talk about seven things that you can do when getting up after you fall. How to get up uh, when you fall. We're going to talk about seven particular areas. First of all, are you ready? This is the heart of what we were getting into. What we just hit here was an introduction. And now... We're, we're in the, the meat of it now. Seven things to do that, that can help you when you're getting up after a fall. Forgive yourself. Number one, forgive yourself. Oh, yeah. Go to Philippians 3 real quick. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, I want to read you uh, some of the words of the Apostle Paul, who also happened to be somebody who needed to forgive himself. I mean, this is a man who went from 
killing Christians to multiplying Christians. <laughs> this is a man who, who certainly went from one extreme to the other. And he had to forgive himself. Philippians chapter 3 verse 13. Uh, the words of the apostle Paul. He said, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting. Someone say forgetting. forgetting. Those things which are behind. And reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what is behind. See, real forgiveness is forgetfulness. Real forgiveness is forgetfulness. Do do you know that God forgets? Do you know that when it comes to your sin, that God's got a case of voluntary amnesia? The scripture says it clearly in Isaiah 43, 25, where he said, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. That's God's very own statement. So real forgiveness is forgetfulness, and we need to understand this. That in the process of what Paul was talking about here, reaching forward and pressing toward, reaching forward and pressing toward. But before he talked about doing that, he talked about doing something else, forgetting those things which are behind. I like what somebody said about the the, the rear view mirror. There's a reason why you have a big windshield and a little rear view mirror because you're supposed to do a whole lot of looking forward and, and just have that little mirror for reference as far as looking back. But I'll tell you what, naturally speaking, if you drive with your eyes fixed on the rear view mirror and not on what you can see through the windshield, you will eventually hit something. And I got to tell you, spiritually speaking, it's the same way. You're going to drive yourself off the road if you keep on looking in that rearview mirror. Forgetting those things which are behind. As a matter of fact, what I see in this verse is that you've got to do that first. You've got to forget first before you can reach forward and press toward. If you want to advance, the first thing you got to do You've got to forget what's behind you. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, one little thing I want to share with you. Uh, uh, very interesting uh, situation in my life one day, just driving down the street, minding my own business, and I just sensed this in my heart. You are known forgiveness. And, you know, no, no booming voice in my car, but just a real sense in my heart. And I, so I checked myself and thought, wait, wait a minute, let's see. Hmm. Uh, who am I in unforgiveness with? And right down inside, it's like I heard this. You're in unforgiveness with yourself. Hey, church, here's a news flash. You being in unforgiveness toward yourself is just as wrong as you being in unforgiveness toward anybody else. Because for you to hold something against yourself is to make yourself Calvary's exception. As though the blood could take care of everybody else and you bankrupted the blood. The devil is a liar. 
Ain't no chance of you or anybody else bankrupting the blood. Come on now. So don't fall for that for a minute. As a matter of fact, you, you know, the, the, the Bible is full of some wonderful examples of people that had to forget. Somehow, uh, the Apostle Peter had to do some forgetting. It's amazing what, what a contrast you see in his character and, and, and what was only about 40 days or so. You know, he had to forgive himself to turn him to, 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 uh, to become the, the man who he became that we see preaching on the day of Pentecost. He had to forgive himself to go from being the coward of Calvary to the preacher of Pentecost. And hallelujah, he did. And he was able to go forward and accomplish the thing that God wanted to accomplish in his life rather than being all hung up about that denial thing. We must decide to not let the mistakes of yesterday hold us back from God's plan for our lives today and tomorrow. I'm going to say that again for somebody. We must decide. Not God must decide because he's already decided. We must decide to not let the mistakes of yesterday hold us back from God's plan for our lives in today and not uh, for, for today and for tomorrow and for the days to come. Amen. And you just need to settle this, that if you're not going to forgive yourself, you're in disagreement with God because he already has forgiven you. All right. So that's number one. Forgive yourself. Number two. Realize how you fell and determine to not get in the same position again. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm talking to somebody today. Yeah. Realize how you fell and determine not to get in the same position again. And uh, of course, we will refer again to Romans 13, 14, which I alluded to earlier that said, uh, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh. See, uh, if you're going to not make provision for the flesh, that's the same thing as what this says here to not, uh, uh, to determine to not get in the same position again. Like, like if I fell off the stage because I was playing on the edge one time, I'm just not going to go ahead and start doing this again. I mean, it, that is not rocket science, church. That's something you can take and apply to any particular area. If, if you see a susceptibility to, to a particular thing, then you just don't go ahead and set yourself up. You stay away. As a matter of fact, so many times we often push the envelope and you ought to be staying away from the envelope. All right? Yeah. We're going to have a great time today, I can tell already. See, you, you can't repeat the same action without repeating the same outcome. You know, you do the same thing you've been doing, you keep on getting the same kind of results you've been getting. You know, uh, if it's a dead-end street once, it's going to be a dead-end street. Number two, three, four, five, six, seven, as many times as you go, it's going to be a dead-end street. And your head's going to get real sore from butting your head against the brick wall at the end of the dead-end street. 
But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should get advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. So this tells me that, that if I am ignorant of his devices, if I am ignorant, then he does have the advantage. So that knowledge is important. Hosea said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So this knowledge here is very vital to to your walk. Because if you're ignorant of the devil's devices, then he does have the advantage. But we don't want him having the advantage. We want to have knowledge of his devices, be up on what he's doing, what he's up to, so so that instead of him having the advantage, we would have the advantage. You know, uh, Ephesians 4, 27 says not to give place to the devil. You know, you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. You know how it is. And you know, he, he, he likes to play by his own rules. And just make him up as he goes along. But you see, we're not going to be those that get close to his schemes or get wrapped up in any of his schemes. No, as a matter of fact, we're going to go down the middle of the road, not turn to the right or to the left. But we're going to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And therefore, we're not going to make provision for the flesh. We're not going to allow ourselves to get in the same position over and over again. Because if it was a dead end once, it's going to be a dead end every time you drive down that street. So quit driving down the street. Amen. Hallelujah. Number three. And our... our are steps to getting up after you fall. Develop spiritual resilience. Develop spiritual resilience. Be like a beach ball. And not shaped like one. Let me clarify. Oh boy. But, but you know in the sense that if you got one of those beach balls and you're in the water... And you're trying to hold it underwater, you know everything in that ball wants to go spring back up to the surface. That's what you need to be like. You got the enemy trying to keep you under. You got thoughts of condemnation and guilt trying to keep you under. You got a memory of some dumb thing you did trying to keep you under. But there's got to be that something in you that just wants to keep on coming up to the surface. Resiliency in the spirit. Can I hear an amen? amen? So what if I made a mistake? I'm getting back up. That's the kind of spirit you need to have. That's the kind of determination you need to have. God's not surprised by you making a mistake anyhow. He, he didn't have a heart attack. Fall off his throne. And say, oh, myself, I can't believe they did that. Mm-hmm. Now, now, the actual word for resilient is defined as leaping or springing back. And my goal today in this house, what I believe the Lord wants to accomplish in you today He wants to put a spring in your spirit today. Put a spring in your spirit today. Anytime the enemy tries to hold you down, 
you just activate the spring. Mm, get back up because you're resilient. Hallelujah. Don't let the enemy mess with your mind. You know, one of the uh, top things he'll try to do is always, you know, make you the exception to the rule. You know, try to paint everybody else as the holy saint and you as the unholy ain't. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he said, no one messes up as many times as you do. Everybody else is more spiritual than you. Everybody else has more highlights in their Bible than you got in yours. Yeah, some of y'all laughing because you heard the same line. Come on now. Yeah, don't fall for that. As a matter of fact, write this down. Always remember this. This is Proverbs 24, 16. Proverbs 24, 16 tells us, For a righteous man may fall seven times mm, and rises up again. Hallelujah. A righteous man may fall seven times, but he rises up Again, he does this because he's resilient. See, it takes faith to get back up when you got thoughts and feelings and, uh, and emotions telling you that you deserve to stay down. It takes faith to get up. But if you're righteous, that should be the way you live because the scripture tells us that the just or the righteous live by faith. So it should not be an uncommon thing for us as believers to have to say to thoughts and, and emotions and, and suggestions from the enemy that I ain't going to pay the least bit of attention to you because you say that, but God's word says something different. And I'm just going with God. I might even feel, Mr. Devil, I might even feel right now that you're more accurate than God. And, and, and understand what I'm saying. You, you, and your feelings and, and your thoughts, the way it seems like, the way it feels like. At that moment, it, it seems like the enemy's more accurate than God is. But that's why we don't go by feels like and seems like. You go by, thus saith the Lord, it is written. Hallelujah. I tell you, you know, the enemy would lo love nothing else but to keep you down, to, to, to get, get you not just down in the mud, but to get you rolling around in the mud. You know, you know he'll say it like this. Well, says, since you've already done this no good thing you've done, and since you're no good anyways, you might as well go ahead and keep on doing a bunch of no good things since I got you down. And try to take that one mistake and turn it into a snowball. You know, one little snowflake turn it into a, snow, a snowball rolling down the hill and getting bigger and bigger. You know, it's like, well, I got you to fall and you might as well just go on a sin binge now, you know. I mean, if you're going to fall, you might as well fall real good. <laughs> the devil ever talked to anybody like that before? Oh, don't, no, I won't look, I won't look. But, but I, you know what? The devil is a blooming liar. If he's going to tell you, oh, just go ahead. It doesn't matter anyhow. Yes, it does matter. So what if I fell down? I'm getting back up. I'm not going to be stopped. I'm not going to be held down. I'm never going to have the testimony. I've fallen and I can't get up. 
my testimony is going to be, I might have fallen, but the Lord picked me up. Hallelujah. Now, King David, now talk about springing back. He had to spring back. One of the first things he did wrong, it says in the scripture that, that he was hanging out at the palace at a time when kings go out to war. Did you hear that? That means at a time to king, for kings to go out to war, he should have been out at war, but he wasn't there. He was back at the palace. So, so one very helpful hint to you is be where you're supposed to be. Just by being where you're supposed to be helps so much right off the bat. Because if you, if you be where you're not supposed to be, stuff can happen. And that's what happened to King David. How many of you remember uh, uh, that, uh, I don't know if it was bubble bath or what it, whatever it was, Calgon? And you know the commercial, Calgon, take me away. Well, you know, King David being home when he should have been out at war, you know, um, he happened to be on his roof one night. And there was a real beautiful woman, you know, across the street that was getting taken away by Calgon at the moment. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so someone said this. This is not accurate, but, but it's, it's just something some, somebody said. So someone said her name used to be just Sheba until this incident and then she became known as Bath Sheba but that's bad that's bad I know and that's not accurate don't check the Hebrew on that but here's a man who's hanging out where he wasn't supposed to be and he saw something he shouldn't have seen and then got involved in something he shouldn't have been involved with and fell royally but he's also the same man who uttered the words, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. Go to Acts chapter 13. I want to take a look at something here. Take a look at John Mark. John Mark. See, it's interesting. He, sometimes he's called John. Sometimes he's called John whose surname was Mark. And sometimes he's just called Mark. So, so you, you got to really uh, know, know who is being spoken of here. But, but this is all talking about the same guy. And this is the guy who, who the second gospel bears his name. A lot of people believe that the gospel of Mark was actually Peter's words, but that Mark was the one who recorded it and wrote it down. But Mark, certainly a significant uh, uh, person in the early church but uh it wasn't always smooth sailing acts 13 verse 4 through 5 and this is after a time of uh, ministry and prayer together ministering to the lord and fasting where the holy ghost spoke and sent out uh paul and barnabas to the work that he had called them to and then verse 4 it says so being sent out by the holy spirit they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, 
They preached the word of God, uh, the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. So this guy, John, Mark, John, Mark, uh, was their assistant. Same chapter. Look at verse 13. Now, when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Persia in Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. So in verse 5, John Mark is there as their assistant. Verse 13, John's leaving and going home. Now, go a few chapters later. Acts chapter 15. Now, this can be real encouraging for some of you that have started things and never followed through and finished them. There's hope for you. Acts 15. Look at verse 36. It says, then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now, Barnabas was determined to take with him John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. So here's not just a a man who, when first getting started didn't last too long and ran home but then when he had a chance at redemption it seemed that the apostle paul didn't want anything to do with him because he'd already been burned once and didn't want to be burned again so it seemed like even his attempt to get back up again was being thwarted was being suppressed but i want to tell you about the happy ending go to second timothy four a happy ending for mark And this is one of those things that you can read through the Bible and and not necessarily see this unless somebody points it out to you. That's why I wanted to point it out to you. Somebody pointed it out to me. Freely I have received, freely I give. 2 Timothy 4, this is rich. The happy ending of Mark, the fact that the one who gave up on him in the end embraced him. 2 Timothy 4, verse 11, the words of the Apostle Paul, who we just read, didn't want to have anything to do with Mark coming on a trip with him. Chapter 4, verse 11, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Does anybody see that? Does anybody see that? Even when there was a point in time where the apostle Paul could no longer see the potential. Could only think of the failure. But then, at the end of his life, and this is the last chapter, one of the last verses ever written by the apostle Paul before he was martyred for the faith. And he uttered these words, get Mark, bring him with you. He's useful to me for ministry. At one time, he was of no use to him. But what happened? Mark was resilient 
and he got back up again. Glory to God. Number four. Don't go by your feelings. Turn to 1 John 3 real quick. 1 John chapter 3. Don't go by your feelings. You have them. But, but if you go by them in regards to this. See, here's the thing. The, the, the devil puts up stop signs and red lights. And so does God. God in directing you or leading you will give you a sense of peace to go, a green light to go, or a red light, which means stop. Don't go any further. Now, the devil does the same thing. He'll put up green lights to tell you to go into stuff you shouldn't be going into. And he'll he'll put up stop signs and red lights to try to stop you and hold you back and hold you down. And I may have told you this before, but it bears repeating. You don't have to obey the devil's traffic signals. As a matter of fact, I encourage you, the devil puts up a red light in your life and you know it's not God, it's the devil. You go ahead, pedal to the metal right through that thing, I'm telling you. Don't go by your feelings. First John 3, look at verse 18. It says, my little children, let us, love, uh, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Someone say, God is greater than my heart. See, God's mercy towards you is greater than your feelings of condemnation. His thoughts about you are higher than your thoughts about you. And his patience with you is a whole lot greater than your patience with you and other people's people's patience with you. I love the line here that says, God knows all things. See, he's not excusing you. But he knows all things. See, Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. So he fully understands the, the dynamics, the circumstances, exactly what happened that led up to you being uh, weak in a certain area where you fell in a certain area. He understands it very well. He never sinned. He never fell. But he knows what the temptation is like. And believe me, it was real temptation for Jesus. I don't want anybody in this place to think that Jesus was not genuinely tempted. And you know what? You don't get tempted to do things you don't want to do. You get tempted to do things you want to do. How many of you know that? But Jesus, he knows all things. He's been there. He's already been there. And knows what it's like. So he knows all things. And he's greater than your heart. He's greater than those feelings of condemnation that you have in your heart. And he's there to help you turn condemnation into confidence. And as I told you about heaven's courtroom. The fact that the judge is your father. 
that the defense attorney is your elder brother. Let me also tell you what the defense attorney does. When condemnation gets up to speak, he says, overrule. Hallelujah. Condemnation is overrule. Why? Because God is greater than your heart. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Number five. Remember this. This is big. Remember that to side in with the accusers that take sides against God. Oh, come on. You didn't hear that. Remember that to side in with the accuser is to take sides against God. We know. Let, let me read this to you. You can write this down. It's Revelation 12, verse 10 and 11. And it reads as follows. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. So here it's talking about the accuser of the brethren. And it says they overcame him. Who did they overcome? They overcame the accuser of the brethren. How did they do that? By agreeing with him? No, they did not agree with the accuser. They agreed with the word and they agreed with the blood. And I tell you, some of you that have been beat up by something for a long time and you found yourself taking sides with the accuser, not even realizing that by doing so, you're taking sides against God. But I want you to know, quit taking sides with the accuser. Quit agreeing with him and start agreeing with what the word says about you and start agreeing with what the blood says about you. You, you know what? Yeah, you might have done it and you can still plead not guilty in the court of heaven. Yeah, you did it. But because of Jesus, you can still plead not guilty. Hallelujah. I want you to realize this, that, that as the enemy's there and he's got his stack of evidence and, you, you know, he, he's just ready to put it all on display. I got what they did, what, what time they did it, how they did it, who they did it with, all of the details. And he's about ready to put out his case. And, 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 and you know, he, he's puzzled for a minute. He said, wait a minute, uh, uh, Your Honor, uh, there, there, there's an issue with my um, evidence here. Someone came, spilled some kind of red ink all over my evidence. Yeah, it's not red ink there. It's blood on that evidence. I want you to know that the blood of Jesus Christ has destroyed and wiped out the evidence that was being held against you for what you did. Hallelujah. Someone say the blood. The blood. The blood of Jesus has destroyed the accuser's evidence against you. Number six, we're getting ready to wrap up soon. Number six, when you fall, don't run from God, run to God. When you fall, don't run from God, run to God. You may think when you fell that you're the last person God wants to talk to, but actually the opposite is true. You know what? Uh, write this down. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Hebrews 4, 16 says this. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. 
Have you ever thought who that invitation is being given out to to come boldly before the throne of grace? All y'all that just got it together, come on in boldly to the throne of grace. No, it doesn't say that. This invitation is going out to, to people that fall into three categories. People that need mercy, people that need grace, and people that need help. Does anybody qualify besides me? Yeah. The, the, the person needing mercy, the person needing grace, the person needing help is the one told to come boldly before the throne of God. Hallelujah. Oh, that fires me up. And I want you to realize this, that that is the total opposite thing of what the enemy would try to communicate to us. The enemy would want to communicate, stay away. He don't want to see you. You're not even worthy to go before him. But the exact opposite is the truth. That, that's the time that he most wants to see you entering in because he knows. God knows that that's the time you need him the most. You don't need to be away. You need to be real close, real tight. Say, well, I just feel like a failure. So what? Take him up on the invitation. Hallelujah. You know, the story of the prodigal son, it's amazing. You've got this younger son who took his inheritance and took it early and went out and squandered it. Ran around doing all kind of stuff. His elder brother insinuated that, uh, that, that part of his riotous living is that he was spending a lot of money on prostitutes. Blew all his money. And ended up to the point where the pigs ate better than he did. Where he was so hungry that he wanted to eat what the pigs were eating. And he made a decision. I'm going to rise and go back to my father. And the reaction of the father. Let it be a lesson for us. That when that prodigal son arose and came to his father. That when he was still a great distance away from the house. That his father saw him. And he had compassion. And he ran and fell on him and kissed him. And threw a party. Because my son who was dead is now alive again. He was lost and is found. Anytime the enemy would tell you, God ain't interested in seeing you after you've royally blown it. You remember this. This son who royally blew it. And yet even when he was not even quite barely around the corner, barely around that home stretch coming home, dad spotted him. That's the heart of the father towards you today. And I want you to realize this, that two very drastically different things, I'm going to list right now. These two things are very drastically different from each other. Number one is the way God thinks about you. And number two is the way Satan or your own mind tells you God thinks about you. Those are two drastically different things. The way God actually does think about you and the way either Satan tells you God thinks about you or your own mind or your own uh, uh, condemned conscience is telling you God thinks about you. And if you want to know what God thinks about you, 
It's all in the word. The last thing to do. Pray in the spirit. I don't believe that that we as the body of Christ can emphasize enough the importance of being baptized in the Holy Ghost and speaking in other tongues. Why don't you go to uh, 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 Jude chapter 1. You were there before. Just go back there one more time. We started there. We'll finish there. See, when you fall, it's because you're weak. It's because your battery got low. It's because your, your resistance got low. And that led to you falling. So if you have a low battery, you need to know what to do to keep your battery charged. And the Bible tells us exactly how to do so. Jude chapter 1, verse 20. It says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up. On your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14.4, you can write that down. 1 Corinthians 14.4 says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. And it was said by uh, some Greek scholars that if that 1 Corinthians 14.4 that says, he who speaks in the tongue edifies himself. If that were to be written today, it would be likely worded as follows, that he who speaks in the tongue charges himself up like a battery. That's what the word edify would mean, to, to build up or to charge you up. So if your battery got low and therefore your resistance was low and therefore you fell, one of the things that you can do going forward to avoid such a scenario is to keep your battery charged. And you can experience that on a daily basis by praying in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. And as we close today, let me read you the words of the prophet Micah. We're closing. Micah chapter 7 verse 8 says this. He said, do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Come on, give God some praise today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.